0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Pauley. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at www.harmonybible.org. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen to that. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. God, I pray that You'd be with us now, that You would just guide and direct us in Your Word, that You would help us to worship You in spirit and in truth, God, that as we look to Your Word, that You would mold us and make us into the image of Your Son, that You would change us, God, that You would just speak to us in such a way that we would not only be hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word. God, we ask for Your blessing now, we pray these things in Christ's name, Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. i have been working our way through the book of Colossians, and we took a brief break last week, but we're stepping back into Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians 3, starting at verse 22. And as we've kind of worked our way through Colossians, we've seen that... Um, I've got to have my water. We've seen that... Um, Paul has been talking about the Gospel and he's been kind of reiterating again and again and again that Jesus is enough for the Colossian believers. That they don't need more than Jesus. That He is indeed enough. And then as he's he's laid that foundation of the Gospel, he's gotten into some teaching regarding how they should relate to one another. We talked about how husbands should relate to wives. We talked about how children and parents should relate to each other. And today we talk about God's design for the workplace. So look at Colossians 3, verses 22 through 4-1 uh, with me. If you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. It says, Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do... Do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven." May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want, to, I want to, just like the last couple of weeks, I want to start with some assumptions from which we'll be examining today's text. So here are the assumptions. Number one, the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. That when we read what the Scripture says, we believe what the Scripture says, that it is authoritative. It is the the only measure by which we must measure ourselves. It is the final authority. Number two, the teaching contained in this passage is not cultural but universal. So when I say that, I'm not saying that that we should have slaves, I'm not saying that we even live in a culture where uh, slaves are. Um, okay, or where slaves exist in our culture, what I'm saying is that the teaching portion, the things that we can draw from this passage, are not cultural, but they should speak to us as well. And then thirdly, in light of that, this teaching applies to every single one of us. So whether you're young or old or working or retired or you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a kid or you're a middle-aged drummer, this passage applies to all of us, right? And then, fourthly, this passage is not primarily about slavery. This passage deals more, uh, has a greater uh, teaching than just that of slavery. There's something far bigger at stake, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, while this passage is not primarily about slavery, I feel as though we must address the elephant in the room, so to speak. Uh, and that is, it would be absurd to say that this passage is commands, or even commends slavery. But the question that often gets asked is, does this passage, or the Bible in general, condone slavery? So we know that it doesn't command slavery. We know that it doesn't commend slavery, but does it condone slavery? And for the sake of clarity, when I talk about slavery, I'm talking about someone claiming to own another person as though they are a piece of property. So I'm not talking about slavery in the sense that uh, I go to work and I get treated like a slave or I'm a slave to my job. I'm talking about somebody being owned like they are a piece of property. There are, in a, uh, there are about 27 million slaves in the world today. That's an estimate. 27 million. That's more slaves than ever existed in the United States of America, by the way, in our uh, history of having slaves in this country. There are 27 million slaves and it is wrong. And the Bible, without ever directly saying that slavery is, is wrong, I believe is the primary tool by which we can change that. I believe that the Bible, though it never says slavery, is wrong in an outward fashion, is the primary tool by which we can end slavery. So let me explain. Scripture says that all men are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So man is created in the image of God. He has intrinsic value and worth. That man is set apart from the rest of creation and that we are made like God. And furthermore, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, extends beyond all social, all economical, all political boundaries, and it unites those who are in Him. Paul just said in Colossians 3, verses 3-15, through 15, that we read a few weeks ago, he said, "...for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once also walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and you've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And then verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another... And forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. See that that dividing wall, the, the socio-economical dividing wall, is torn down when believers are united in Christ. So somebody, when they, when they come to Christ and they know Christ as their Savior, they may not have asked for a family, but they were given a family. They were made part of the family of God. They're united in one body in Christ, whether slave or free, Paul says in Colossians. In 1 Corinthians 12.13, he says a similar thing. He says, For by one Spirit you were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit. You see, the Gospel brings followers of Christ together in one body. In one body where we love and care for one another. Even Jesus Himself said, "He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when we apply that kind of teaching to the way we relate to our fellow man, there's no room for slavery. You see, Paul deals with the root, not the fruit. If the root is addressed, then the fruit will change. And if all we ever do is address the fruit, then we'll never see change. It's like telling the world that they shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. Or they shouldn't covet. Or they shouldn't lie. That's dealing with the fruit, not the root. It's the same thing with uh, gay marriage. I'm concerned in our culture. I'm concerned because we do want to stand up and say, gay marriage is wrong. However, if that's all we do is address the fruit and not the root of the problem, we will never, ever, ever gain ground. We'll never see real and lasting change. And Paul, he doesn't address the fruit. He deals with the root. He says we need to get at the heart of the matter, the way we relate to one another. And things like slavery, they'll naturally end as a result of that. You see, the Bible is not an instruction manual. So I think sometimes we think that as we go through life, we think that the Bible is a set of instructions. Right? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. And we come up with all these new things to do Gay marriage—that we never thought was even that was ever possible—that we ever thought would be part of our culture. We come up with these new things because we think that this is just a simple set of instructions, and we say, "Well, where? Show me the passage where it says that I can't do X, Y, and Z." Instead of saying, "What does the Scripture teach about the way I am to live my life and honor God?" You've probably all heard the acronym: A Bible, basic instructions before you leave Earth, right? While the Bible is instructive, it's not primarily a message about what we must do. But instead, it's, a, it's primarily a message about what God has done for us. I recently read an article uh, by Matt Tully. It was titled, The Bible is Not an Instruction Manual. And in it, he says the following. He says this quote. He says, The gospel is not good advice, it is good news. The good news of the gospel is so much better than instructions. It is better because the news actually saves us. The gospel is the ministry of righteousness because it announces not just the blank slate of sins wiped out, but the full credit of Christ's perfect obedience credited to us. As we look out into the world and into our churches, we think we know what will fix everything. We'll just tell them to get their act together. Thus, all the instructions. But what will really save the lost world? Let me tell you, none of our complaints against it. What will transform the hearts of the people in your church? No amount of your nagging. What will motivate people to real life change that begins with real heart change? Not all the helpful tips in the universe. According to the Bible, only the gospel is the power for salvation. We must stop treating the Gospel as though it were power enough for conversion, but falls short of empowering all the practical matters of faith that come after." It's powerful. See, the Bible is not primarily a list of do's and don'ts. It goes far beyond saying whether or not slavery is right or wrong. It is instead about how God has freed us from slavery how God freed us from slavery of sin. John 8, 34 and 35, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. See, believers are no longer in bondage to sin. We're no longer, we no longer need to submit to to sin, for Christ has set us free. And when we understand that message, it will change our views on slavery. See, the Gospel changes everything. I think sometimes we live in this world where we think that the Gospel is designed to save us, and then we need to somehow get our act together, and we need to live right before God apart from that experience of the Gospel. The Gospel is what changes our views. That's why I'm always saying we need to keep the Gospel in front of us all the time. Remember the Gospel. Because the Gospel is the power to change our lives and the world around us. So with that in mind, knowing that the Gospel will change our views on slavery, I've titled this message, God's Design for the Workplace. Not because I think our experience in the 21st century uh, is like, can be likened to slavery, but because the principles that can be drawn from this text have strong application for us today. So let's get a closer look at these principles by first looking at what Paul says to slaves, and then what he says to masters. Look at verse 22 with me. Verse 22 says this, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Just like in previous sections, Paul gives us first the mandate and then the motive. The mandate is slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart. The word obey is the same word used in verse 20, where Paul told children that they should obey their parents. If you remember from before, it carries the idea of Heeding specific instructions. Essentially, Paul is telling slaves to do as they are told. He's saying, Do as you are told by those who are your masters on the earth. The Greek more literally says, Those who are your masters in the flesh. The obvious implication being that their authority is limited and it's subject to the one who has ultimate authority, the one who has authority over all things, God Himself. So just like with wives being subject to their husbands, children obeying parents, slaves are called to be obedient in all things, so long as they're not being asked to disobey God. Hence the warning in four eleven, right? When he says uh, four one, where he says, "Slaves, you too have a master, one who is in heaven." So he says, "Make sure uh, that." Or masters, you too. You, uh, you too have a master who is in heaven. He wants them to understand that the masters are subject to God ultimately. But Paul doesn't end with saying, "Obey those who are your masters on earth." He goes on to say, "Don't just obey them, but obey them not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart." In other words, don't just obey when the master is looking. Right? Obey all the time. Don't just aim for outward conformity. It's like uh, sometimes we'll we'll have a conversation, especially when our kids were younger, we'd have a conversation with our kids, and we would want them to say sorry. But saying sorry is just outward conformity, right? What we really were looking for was inner change. We really were looking for that. And the problem is, as parents, you can't control that. You can't make that happen. You can facilitate that, right? Right? If, you're, if you get into a fight with your spouse, what you want is your spouse, not just to say, "Oh, I'm sorry. Right? That's outward conformity. You want, instead, inner change. And that's what Paul is aiming at here. He says, serve your Master with sincerity of heart from the deepest part of your being. Let your thinking be such that you say, My job is to obey what my master says, and I am well pleased to do it. That's a tall order. Imagine being a slave. You're sitting in Colossae. You're sitting in church. And Paul writes a letter to you and says, Slaves, obey your master. Okay, got it. I can do that. Yep, I'll obey him. Because I need to. If I don't, I'm going to be in big trouble. And then he says, Not just outwardly, but inwardly. With sincerity of heart. Really, Paul? You want me to be sincere in serving this master? But he goes on. Let's look at the motive. He says, Not just slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. The motive is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. This is not a new idea to, to the Scriptures. Proverbs 1, seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, And then verse 20 goes on to say, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him and you shall swear by His name. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? I think sometimes in our culture, we talked about this in Sunday school, we present this idea that God is love. And He is, by the way. But we present this idea that God is love to such an extent that we forget that He is also holy and just, and righteous. And the end result, when we forget those things, is that we miss what it really means to fear the Lord. Many would say that fearing the Lord means respecting Him. I may have even said that before myself. That that fearing the Lord means respecting Him. And that's partially true. However, while fearing the Lord includes respect, I think it goes so far beyond that. I mean, I respect tea, right? But I don't fear tea. Well, maybe a little, but I don't fear tea, right? It's different. Jesus talks about fearing the Lord in Luke 12. Luke 12, verses 4 through 9. He says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that have no more than that, uh, and after that have no more that they can do. Verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 6. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for 2 cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. So he says, I tell you, don't fear the world, don't fear these people or the world. Fear God. Fear God because He can cast you into hell. Don't have a fear of man. Don't have a spirit of fear. In the same way, He says, but, fear God. He says, you are more valuable than sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses Me before men, the Son of Man will confess Him also before the angels of God. But, He who denies Me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So when we look to God, we should have this fear that drives us to this place where we say, I respect, I honor, I recognize His authority to do with me as He chooses. I recognize that He will search out sin and destroy it. But, but, everyone, Jesus said, who confesses Me before men, the Son of Man will confess Him also before God. That we, have, we don't live with the spirit of fear because of what Christ said to us. Our fear is different. Our fear is a reverence, a respect. It doesn't refer to being frightened, but instead refers to a proper understanding of who God is. Namely, that He's the Sovereign One. He has the authority to to determine right from wrong. He has the authority to cast people into hell. And that is more than respect. It's deep reverence that brings about change. It results in obedience. You see, being scared may produce change for a while. Tell someone that they'll lose their job if they don't change, right? And they'll change for. little while you'll see the effects of that type of fear but real motivation comes from the type of fear that recognizes who God is and his righteous judgment of sin and then his free offer of grace when we understand that when we have that kind of fear of the Lord that changes everything that causes us to fall on our knees and say not my will be done but yours be done Whatever you want with me, Lord, I am yours. That kind of fear is described in Hebrews 12, verses 28-29. through It says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer up to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So the mandate is this. Slaves... In all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart. And the motive is fearing the Lord. In other words, the fear of the Lord should be motivating. It should be the motivating force that slaves see as a means to obey their masters. And now you may say, okay, so how? How? How does the fear of the Lord translate to obeying others? Paul answers that question in verses 23-25. through 25. He says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you, whom you serve. For He who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which He has done. And that without partiality. In other words, as you serve your master, it is really the Lord whom you are serving. And from Him, from Him, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. I hope you catch this. This is incredibly rich language. Imagine you're a slave. You're sitting in the church in Colossae, and Paul says, obey your master's. Obey your masters, because when you do, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. You're a slave. You own nothing. You have nothing. You are property. You're not a son or a daughter who will receive an inheritance. And Paul says, you're going to receive an inheritance. The inheritance from Christ. He says this inheritance, you, by obeying your master." will be richly rewarded. Paul's reminding them they have a better inheritance than the things of this earth. Rather than possessions, Paul is reminding the slaves in Colossae that their inheritance is stored up for them in heaven. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, they've been given the gift of salvation. And regardless of whatever earthly rewards they may or may not receive, They have an inheritance. They have an inheritance that is stored up for them in heaven. So they're not just serving men, but they're serving the Lord. And they're serving the Lord by obeying their masters. And Paul says to them, God will reward you for your faithfulness. Now look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong." which he has done, and that without partiality. Paul seems to be comforting those who are slaves in Colossae. And he's doing so by reminding them that just as they were going to be held accountable, just as the slaves were going to be held accountable for their actions, so too would the masters. So he said slaves, he's been addressing them and saying, slaves you need to obey, slaves you need to obey, slaves you need to obey. And then he says, by the way, These masters, they're going to be held accountable for the wrong that they do. See, though the the slave's place in society was different than the master's, and the master's place might allow them to escape scrutiny from other people, God is impartial. And therefore, He would hold those slave masters accountable for any wrong that they did. And what Paul is really saying is this, Slaves, focus on your side of the street. No, they won't be perfect masters. Some of them won't even be good masters. But you're called to serve the Lord anyway, not them. And they'll answer to God for their own actions. I swear, if we could just get this right in our relationships at home, that would be amazing. If we could just, Paul's been saying this, he said this with husbands and wives, he said it with children and parents, and now he's saying it in the workplace. No, your husband's not going to be a good husband. No, he won't. And you know what? Your wife, she's not going to be a good wife. She's not going to do it perfectly. She's going to continue to fail. He's going to continue to fail. Your parents are going to continue to fail you. Your kids are going to continue to let you down. But you're serving the Lord. You need to focus on your side of the street. Right? No, they're not going to be perfect. Some of these masters won't even be good but you're not serving them. Not ultimately. You're serving the Lord. And they'll answer to God for their actions. That's what Paul's saying. So we have the mandate and the motive. The mandate, slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not externally, but with sincerity of heart. And the motive, out of reverence and awe for who God is. Right? Right? Out of the fear of the Lord. So now, let's consider Paul's words directly toward masters. Colossians four one says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Paul doesn't spend a lot of time here, and I don't, I don't feel the need to either, especially since we're running close to 12 o'clock, right? He says... Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. And then the motive is because you too have a master. One who is in heaven. And the point is simple. Masters, remember as you deal with your slaves that you too are a slave. You are a slave of Christ. Your master is in heaven. Therefore, treat them as you would want to be treated with justice and fairness. Again, the same principle as the principle for husbands. The same principle as that for parents. He's saying, treat them in a way that you'd want to be treated, recognizing that you are a slave of Christ. That you too are one who falls under the authority of another. You see, the fear of the Lord should cause masters to change the way they treat their slaves. Because the fear of the Lord changes everything. Life is no longer about what is expedient, but instead about what honors Christ the same principles given to slaves also applies to the masters. Right? Let your reverence and awe for the Lord impact the way you relate to those under your authority. If Christ himself can, if Christ Himself came to be to came to serve and not to be served, right, then masters should also do the same. So this letter is written to the church in Colossae. And I think I would miss something especially important if I just glossed over this fact. Within the congregation in Colossae was a well-known master, and his name was Philemon. Um, And in the pages of Scripture, we have this personal letter that Paul wrote to Philemon regarding a slave named Onesimus. And it's possible, it's likely, because we read later in Colossians that Onesimus delivers this letter to the Colossians, to the Colossian church, that Onesimus actually was bringing both this letter and the letter Uh, written to Philemon at the same time. So Philemon 10 through 16 says this. He writes this letter to Philemon regarding the slave Onesimus. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be, in effect, by compulsion, but out of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul, in his letter to Philemon, essentially says, Philemon, as you deal with Onesimus, remember the Gospel. Remember that you too were a slave to sin, but now you are a slave to Christ. So treat him with justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a Master, one who is in heaven. So the question is this, how do we apply all of this to our lives, both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take this teaching on slaves and masters and bring it down to something that we can apply to our lives? Well, number one, just like the slaves in Colossae were in a situation they could not change, they had no ability to change the situation. They were slaves so we too sometimes find ourselves in situations that are outside of our control. And it's during those times that we must be steadfast in serving the Lord. We must focus on our side of the street. We must focus on what we are called to do, and that is serve the Lord. And we must recognize that it is the Gospel that will bring about real change. That it's the Gospel that's going to bring about the change in the world around us. Number two, we must set our eyes on our inheritance. Not on the things of this world. It's so easy to get wrapped up in what this world has to offer. And instead, we must set our eyes on heaven, knowing that we may have nothing in this world. To be a slave who has no earthly possessions, and then dies and receives the inheritance from Christ, that's a great blessing a much better blessing than dying with all the toys and then hearing the Lord Jesus Christ say, depart from me, I never knew you. And thirdly, we must let the Gospel motivate the way we relate to those whom we work for. Right? While the situation isn't identical, the principles are the same. Do your work as unto the Lord. N- know this, your Master's not going to be perfect, right? but you're not working for Him. You're working for the Lord. And have compassion. Have compassion for them, knowing that they are going to receive the consequences for the wrong they have done. Bring the gospel to them. Mirror the gospel as you serve them. And then fourthly, let the gospel motivate the way you relate to those under your authority. Maybe you're a boss. Maybe you have authority over people, right? Right? Grant them justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a Master, one who is in heaven, and one who has set you free from bondage. And then lastly, we need to let the Gospel motivate the way we relate to one another. See, we know that in Christ there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, we can lay aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, right? We can put aside those things and we can put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility. We are called to let Christ, let the peace of Christ, the Gospel, rule in our hearts and be thankful. We are called to let the Gospel motivate the way we relate to one another, both at home and at work and in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. God, I just pray that we would be not only hearers, but also doers of Your Word this morning. God, that as we remember the call to let Your Gospel change the way we relate to those around us. God, that we would carry that with us this week. God, that we would bring it home as we interact with our spouses, as we interact with our kids, our grandkids, that we would let the gospel shape the way we serve you at work. Father God, I thank you that you have reminded us today that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for your glory, that you've reminded us that as we do our daily work, whatever that work may be, that you are the one that we are ultimately serving. And God, I just pray that we would keep that in mind. That we would recognize that those who do wrong will be held accountable for their actions. And God, that our job is to serve You, continue steadfast in serving You, and loving You, and living for Your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church. South Thompson, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Harmony Bible Church, visit www.harmonybible.org. God bless, and to God be the glory.